All right. If you will take your Bibles, please. Open them to the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Beginning again at verse 1, we come this morning to the end of this passage we've been at for a while. Please join me in standing out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ... Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would grant to us understanding and give us clarity. Help us see that all of this life is in your sovereign hand. Help us understand that whatever is, is according to your will and purpose, and whatever is not, is also according to your will and purpose. Help us see and understand that we can do nothing apart from you, and that our lives are in your hand. Help us take comfort from that, be chastened by that, be challenged by that, be empowered by that, And help us understand, God, that the day that you've given to us right now, you have given to us for your own glory and your own purpose. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask a question that I hope will be rhetorical. How much of our lives is in the hand and control of God? All of it. Amen? Is, is there anything that's out of His power? Anything that's out of His control? Is there anything that we can do which is contrary to the secret will and purpose of God? His ordained power over all things. Now, I want to draw your attention to what the writer of Hebrews does here. He says, this we will do if God permits. This is a clear declaration of submission. And the primary focus of this verse aims back to verse 1, where he starts off saying, let us leave behind the fundamental rudimentary teachings and let us progress to a perfect understanding. Let us progress to maturity in the faith. And this we'll do if God permits it, right? So I just want to stop for a minute because it's kind of a startling transition. Can we not all agree that God would want his children to grow and become perfect in their understanding and mature in their faith and and put on Christ to the fullness of, of everything that we are? Is that not something that we should all agree God wants? And yet, he says, this we will do if God permits. Does that not strike you as a little bit strange? That this thing which is so clearly in accordance with the revealed will of God is still something that the writer of Hebrews amends with this statement of if. As if to say that there might be times where God would not necessarily permit 
us to grow in grace and understanding. For us to grow faithfully and walk in the narrow path of truth, we have to wrestle this out. Because in a nutshell, what he's teaching us is this. It is not always going to be true that God will grant you the wisdom and the grace to grow and to mature. There may be times for his own purposes and for his own reasons that he withholds that and you wrestle and you struggle and you flail and you cry. There may be times where for his own reasons and for his own purposes he does not grant what seems to be an obvious home run of yes, surely God wants that. Now, let me put this as plainly as I can at the outset. Either you believe this is true, or you array yourself in full armor against the declared statements of God in Scripture. And there are many, many, many of them, too numerous for me to mention, wherein God says, I am in absolute control over all of my creation, and nothing occurs apart from my will. For you to array yourself against that truth is the height of arrogance and presumption. God says, I am God, and there is no other. Sometimes God does not permit it. Sometimes the cultivation of the ground yields nothing. But it's always true that the cultivation of the ground will yield nothing unless God actively permits it, unless God actively makes it so. You plant, you water, you weed, you do everything in your power, and what happens? Sometimes, nothing. You say, well, it was bad seed. Okay, physically, that might be true. Physically, it might just be that God said, okay, I'm not going to cause that seed to germinate. But let's understand that the, the parable of the growing and the planting and the yielding is really about spiritual things. And if we're talking about the gospel being the seed, is it ever bad? No, it's not. So why is it that sometimes God says yes and sometimes God says no? Because he's God. And when you won't accept that and simply say, Lord, you know what's best and you do what's best and you are always right and you are always righteous, what you're doing is asserting your own dominance over him. You're saying something along these lines. I have the power to assert my will. I will certainly do this, and nothing can stop me from doing this thing that I have said I'm going to do. I have heard men make statements like that, and it's terrifying to me. I've heard men who ought to know better make statements like that. Because in the end, what is your power? nothing. You say, but I I really want it, and so I'm going to make sure that I do it, and I'm determined to do this thing. Okay, great. Are you so powerful that nothing can arise that will prevent you? 
Are you so steadfast and sure that nothing could arise that would change your mind? I promise you, none of you are. You see, everything that we attest to, everything that we propose as an absolute assertion of our intention and our purpose, should be couched in the same way that the writer of Hebrews couches this. We will do this if God permits it. We will do this if God wills that it would be so. Now, this is not a singular teaching throughout Scripture, okay? This is not a one-off sort of place. Turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Where did I put my glasses? There they are. Thank you. James chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such and such a city, and we will spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What is James telling us here? First of all, he's giving us the practical reality of how we are to think and live. We are to understand that we live in the hand of a sovereign God, who can, in a moment, thwart all of our plans, stop our best intentions, make us incapable of doing anything that we intend to do. God could literally smite you in this moment with the ability to do nothing. (laughs) Just make your body stop functioning. You be present in mind, and you can't do anything that you want to do. Conversely, he could strike your mind and make it go away. I believe there's a story in the Bible about a king who asserted himself and see all the things that I've done. And for seven years, the scripture tells us he was a madman. Just like that. You see, when we say without giving mindful thought to the God who is God, I'm going to do this thing. We are challenging heaven. We are saying to God, I am more powerful than you, and I will assert my will, and you cannot stop me. Those are huge words. That's a terrifying assertion. It's a dangerous assertion. And in the end, what the scripture teaches us is that we must recognize that that assumption is arrogance. You do not have the power to exert your will over God. You do not have the power to do whatever you want to do. You do not have the power to overcome whatever God may place in your path. And you do not have the wisdom to understand the fullness of everything that's going on. I've made this statement before, but let's just drop it in for consideration this morning. Would you say that the world is in a good position or a bad position right now? 
Most of us would agree that we are unhappy with the shape of the world. However, let me assert this truth for you. If you had the power to change everything and make the world over in some other shape, it would look exactly the way that it looks right now if you knew everything that God knows. Because God is God and knows everything that is. And according to scripture, he has been at work ordering all things according to his eternal purpose, which he established in Christ before the foundations of the world. Before he ever said, let there be, this moment was ordained. Before he ever said, let there be, this reality was already in place and all of human history was encapsulated in the singular sovereign will of God, which has made certain that everything progresses according to the plan that he put in place from the beginning of time. Now, if you understand that, it becomes fairly simple to say, if the Lord wills, then we'll go here and do that. But at the place where that breaks down, you begin to wrestle against God. And here's what I know. The longer and harder you wrestle against God, the less progress you make. Okay? The longer and harder you assert yourself against what God has said to do, the more backward you become. Now, sometimes you get where you're going in reverse, and sometimes God allows you to go backwards into the place where he has ordained you to be. But I know from bitter personal experience that that is the most uncomfortable way to get it done. Robbie was telling me this morning about having to back his truck up over a mile and a half up hilly, curvy, windy gravel roads because GPS didn't tell him there was a three-ton weight limit on a bridge. Probably not the way you wanted to get to where you were going. See, for us, we need to recognize that God gives us his word and gives us his wisdom and gives us his counsel so that we can align our lives to the best of our ability to walk in submission to his sovereign control and obey him to the fullest of our ability. But we also have to understand that even at our best, we don't know exactly what God wants us to do. Which is why the writer of Hebrews says, yeah, I want to go on and teach you to grow in grace and achieve the perfection of the knowledge of Christ and have the fullness of everything that's yours as a child of God. And we're going to do it if God permits. Because to do anything else is the height of arrogant presumption. And James tells us to do anything else is more than just arrogant presumption. It's sin. So to have a mind which says, no, 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 no. God is not really in control. I'm in control is sinful. To have a mind that says, yeah, I'm not really going to live that way. I'm going to do what I determined to do. I'm going to get up. I'm going to take my day planner. I'm going to write my list. You know the only way my list gets done on the day planner? 
When I sit down at the end of the day and I look at what I did and write it down so I can check it off. It, it, it's, it's stupid, but it's really the only way that I can get my list done. And everything that I didn't get done, even when I wrote it down so I could check it off, has to go to the next day. And then I try it all over again. You see, in the end, what God says to us is that we must wrestle out this truth in every area of our lives. He is God. We are not. And if we understand who He is, that entire thing affects all of our lives. Every single aspect of our lives is subject to this truth. Every single one. God is on His throne. And he will give his glory to absolutely no one. And he gives absolutely no portion of his power, authority, or will to anyone for any reason. Psalm 115 verse 3 says what? God is in the heavens and he does what? Whatever he chooses. He does whatever he chooses. Look with me at Psalm chapter 33. Start reading with me at verse 8. Psalm 33, in verse 8, we find this. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Amen. He makes the plans of the people to no effect. Amen. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Amen and amen. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people He has chosen for His own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually, and he considers all their work. You see, there's no part of your life that's free from God's sovereign control. Nothing. Turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Let's just take a quick survey as Proverbs gives us this really... Interesting reality. Proverbs 16, verse 1, it says, The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So your preparations you think you're making, but in the end what you're going to do belongs to who? God. Even what you're going to say belongs to God. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So you think you're going to do what you're going to do, but in the end, what really happens? What God has ordained. What God has said. Not what you chose. Not what you planned. Not what you decided you were going to do. But what God decided you were going to do. 
Now, I want you to note that these plans left to your own way are never going to work out well for you. If God gives you the space and the ability to do what you want, if it works into his will that your plans and his are aligned and your plans are contrary to him, listen to what it says, verse 25. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. If God gives you your head, it will lead to your destruction. Now, it's important that we understand this. Look at Romans chapter 3. Hold your place in Proverbs. We're going to come back to it in a minute. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 10. Paul puts it plainly for us. As it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. So according to Paul and according to Proverbs, your plans, based in your own will and your own preference, will lead unequivocally and without exception, to your own destruction. Because you will not choose God. You will not choose His way. You will not choose His plans. You will not choose His paths. For you are incapable of choosing His path, or His plan, or His way. Left to yourself, there is no option but your own destruction. And this is universally true of all men, all places. You say, well then, how did I choose God? You didn't. God chose you. He made your heart alive. And when He made your heart alive, your first response was repentance. Him. His will. His power. His work. We need to grasp this, and we need to wrestle this out, because in the end, our perfect life is not going to look like what we thought it was going to look like. It's going to look like what God has ordained it to look like. And it's going to go in this really bizarre, twisting, turning path that is required to teach you the things that God is intending to teach you. And it's going to go in a way that you did not necessarily intend or expect because God has chosen to draw you in the path and the way that He has chosen to draw you. Is there anybody that you've ever known in your whole life who could say at the end of their life, yes, my life looks exactly the way that I thought it would when I was 10? When I was 12, when I was 16, when I was 20, for Pete's sake. Anybody? I I challenge you to find anybody that even got the broad strokes right. Right? You see, in the end... We all live this out, whether we acknowledge it or not. We all live out the fact that life does not go the way we expect it to, that things do not play out the way we want them to. And if we try to wrestle around that and say it's not true, all we're doing is establishing ourselves as a stated, determined enemy of the sovereign God. You say, well, what about chance? Well, what about chance? Is there such a thing? Again, Proverbs 16. 
verse 33. Proverbs 16, 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Okay. So that means that your words, your plans, your life, your will, your purpose, your everything is held in the hand of God, and even the, the random chances of the universe that people, you know, oh, good luck. No, we don't believe in luck. We believe in God, right? That all of this is contained somehow in the infinite, perfect, singular plan of God that has ordained all things before the council of eternity. And our input into it is exactly nothing. See, what the Scripture tells us is that we were dead apart from Christ. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 1. Let's start there. Let's start with God's perfect plan before I get on to the rest. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. In Him we also have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. This God has chosen His people, and He has chosen His people to live out His will and His purpose. And this means that without any question, even the proclamation of the gospel and its efficacy is a part of God's sovereign will. What, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. It is God alone who can open a man's eyes and bring life to his dead understanding. Ephesians, 3 verse, sorry, Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So if by nature you were a child of wrath, what spiritual understanding did you have? Well, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man does not perceive the things of God, nor can he, 
for they are spiritually discerned. You see, everything that we do, and if we're going to be effective in this place where God has planted us, we have to get this right. Everything that we do is subject to the sovereign will of God. Our power is nothing. Okay? We can't change this place. We can't change this city. We can't change this state. We can't change this nation. We can't change this world. But God, who is sovereign, can. Which means that our weapons are not the weapons that the world says we're supposed to be fighting with. Okay? If the church doesn't get out of its supposed job of being political and begin to be spiritual in everything that we do, praying and seeking the face of God and proclaiming the gospel with power, we will have no effect on the world around us. Because God is not in the habit of allowing man to fight battles with man's strength and gain victory. You remember the guy in, in, in the Bible named Gideon? He sent out a call to all of Israel and said, come on guys, we have a war to fight. And he was able to rustle up 200,000 men to go and fight. A sizable army. And God said, yeah. Mm, You might have a few too many. Everybody that's not 100% in favor of fighting, go home. And 80% of them vanished. Just like that. And God said, yeah, you got a few thousand men left, but that's still too many. And by the time he was done with all of it, he'd whittled Gideon's army down to 300 men. And he said, yeah, that's just about right, Gideon. And God didn't choose the best fighters. He didn't choose the wisest tacticians. He didn't choose the strongest man. When he found Gideon, Gideon was hiding in the bottom of a well trying to thresh his wheat so that the Philistines didn't come and steal it from him. I don't know if you know anything about ancient means of threshing, but one of the things you have to have in order to thresh wheat is wind. There's not much wind in the bottom of a well. So either Gideon was really silly or really desperate or both. So God chose the strongest tactician to lead Israel. No, he didn't. And he gave him the greatest army. No, he didn't. Instead, he did what? He took one of the weakest sons from the weakest tribe, who had the weakest heart, and said, you, you're the man. And I'm going to give you nobody to help you out. Just a few guys. What happened? God won the victory. You see, when we try to do things with our strength and our ability and our resources and our wisdom and our will and our stuff, sometimes in His sovereign pleasure, God says, Hey, sure, give it a shot. Come see me when you fail. I don't know about you, but personally, I'm there. I'm tired of the ineffective weapons of man's warfare. I'm tired of us trying to do everything on our own strength. 
And I'm tired of us losing and losing and losing because we refuse to turn to God and ask Him to change things. Maybe it's time we did. Maybe it's time we actually got on our knees and sought the face of our God to save this land. Maybe it's time we got on our knees and sought the face of our God to change the hearts of its people. Because just hoping they're going to choose right is going to lead to nothing. Because they won't. And if we don't have this right in our own heads, we are absolutely not going to be able to have it right in our practice. If if we don't sort it out and understand that God fundamentally says, I'm God, and every way that I deal with you is going to be to undermine, I mean, to underscore and, and absolutely reinforce that truth and to undermine your own ability to do anything without me. I'm going to labor with everything that I have in me, God says to his people, to make you understand who I am and who you are. And if we don't have that truth right at its core, we're going to fail in everything that we set out to do. Beloved, this has to be true in us because it's true. Whether you believe it or not, it is the truth of Scripture. Whether you like it or not, it is the truth of the Bible. Whether you embrace it or not, it is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is telling us when he gives us the most simple, basic, obviously God would want this truth and says, if God wills, we'll do that. So how do we live this out? How do we apply this so that we're not just quivering masses of, I don't know what to do and I'm scared to do anything because I don't know what God's will is? Because honestly, a lot of times that's where we find ourselves. I'm terrified, I'm unsure, and the only path that seems open to me is absolute inactivity because I don't know what else to do. I, I, I get exhausted just changing my mind so many times trying to make a simple decision. How do we flesh this out? How do we live this? Well, I'm going to give you a very simple nutshell that maybe might help us. Aim well, submit fully. Okay? This is exactly what the Apostle is telling us. It's exactly what James told us. Aim well, submit fully. In other words, understand what appears to be in complete agreement with God's revealed will, which is all we have access to. Deuteronomy says, The secret things belong to God, but the law and the testimony belong to us and to our children forever. So we come back to the Scripture, which gives us guidance, And we understand what the scripture tells us God tells us we are supposed to do. And we aim at that. We do the best that we can possibly do to rightly divide the word of truth. To rightly understand what God tells us in his word. And we do our best to get our heads and our minds and our hearts and our wills and our purpose around the truth of God. And we aim well. But then we submit fully. 
saying, if the Lord wills, then we will do this. Because our purpose must be cast fully upon the strength and the good pleasure of God. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. We have to aim ourselves at Him. We have to submit to His will. And we have to constantly be reminding our arrogant selves that apart from God, we can do nothing. I love that you prayed for humility for us, brother. Because we all need it. At every turning, we are always seeking to exalt ourselves into the place of God, even in the smallest little details. We reserve for ourselves the little things and go, oh, God can't control that. That's up to me. Oh, God can't be in charge of that. That's my part of this. Oh, God can't do that. God can't do this. He leaves that to us. What God calls us to recognize is that even the things that He leaves to us, He's doing Himself. Amen. A man's heart plans his own ways, but his steps are from whom? God. Right? A man makes the preparations. He, he does everything that he can do and tries to tell you what he thinks he's supposed to tell you, but his words come from who? God. The answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from whom? Lady Luck? Chance? Karma? God. See, all those other things, they're lies. They're figments of our imagination that are designed by the enemy of our souls to help us ignore the God who is. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, you know, this is just a head game. Whether I say, if the Lord wills, then we'll go and do such and such, or whether I don't say, if the Lord wills, we'll go and do such and such. I know that God is really God, and it's only going to be what He says. And so why are we going through these motions? Because if you don't acknowledge it in your lips and in your heart when you're thinking about it, you are going to have your heart hardened by the practice of not considering God in everything that you do. Beloved, this is fundamental stuff. I, I love that as he's talking about leaving the fundamental truths and going on to perfection, he's still laying fundamental truths. Right? As he's talking about, okay, we're going to leave these things and go on if the Lord permits it, he's still giving to us the truth that it must be according to God doing this. What does James tell us? He tells us that all such boasting is evil. And that if we know what is good and right and don't do it, it is sin. And it is not passive sin. It is not accidental sin. It is intentional rebellion against God. It is a direct assault against his authority and control. And it is an attempt to make yourself into God. That is what our arrogance and our boasting really is. And it's time that the people of God were very intentional about jettisoning that from their lives. It's time that all of us were intentional about being very purposefully submitted to the will of God. Aim as well as you can, but understand and vocalize because vocalizing it helps you think about it. 
It helps you hear it as you say it and helps you think it as you form the words and it impacts you and it impacts the people that you're speaking to. Give voice to the truth that if God wills it, this will happen and if He doesn't, it won't. Give voice to the truth that God Himself is governing our world. Now, it's really important that you do this, but it is really, really important that I do this. So I'm going to ask you, first of all, just me to you, hold me accountable for this truth. Okay? Call me on it if I'm not practicing what I'm teaching. Because I need to do it. Because leadership matters. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul does. It's exactly what James does. I want you to see some things here. First of all, the writer of Hebrews very obviously is giving us in his own life what his intent is to put this into practice. Yes, this is a very in-depth letter. Yes, this is really hard stuff. Yes, I want you to grow. Yes, obviously God would want you to grow. And we're going to go on to the deeper things that you need to know. And we will one day get to Melchizedek, I promise. (laughs) He's still a whole chapter away, but we'll get there. And we'll get there if God wills it. If God permits it. I don't know. I could drop dead today. Jesus could come back. Please. (laughs) A meteor could fall on this building. We don't know what could happen. So why would we presume that we do? Why would we presume to know anything? 1 Corinthians 16.7, Paul says, I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay for a while with you if the Lord permits. In other words, he could stop through Corinth on his way to wherever he was going. I really don't remember. But I didn't want a short trip. He wanted to come and stay. And so his plan is to get him on the way back. But notice what he says. If the Lord permits. Acts 18.21, when he's leaving, Ephesus, or leaving for, from Ephesus, he says, I must all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. If I can at all, I have to go to Jerusalem. The Lord has told me I have to go. But I will return to you again, God willing. 1 Corinthians 4.9. It's a little deeper. We're a little harder to see on the surface, but understand it. I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we've been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. You say, well, where is he saying God willing in that? He's saying this is what God has done and we are willing in it. And he's looking at the fact that it's not just about his plans for his life, but about the fact that if you're going to say this, if you're going to live this, if you're going to set yourself to say, Lord, I will purposefully submit to you being God, you being sovereign, you governing your creation with my life, my words, my plans, my intentions, you have to embrace the truth that God just might take you up on that and alter your world. Do you think that any of the apostles would have chosen to be made martyrs? If Jesus had sat down and taken a poll and said, okay, who wants to be crucified? 
Who wants to be run through with a spear? Which one of you wants sawn in two? I have, a, I have an empty space here for sawn in two. Do you think any of them wanted that? No. You see, sometimes when we submit to His will, His will is not our will. And what Paul is demonstrating here in 1 Corinthians 4 is that the the danger and the suffering and the hardship that not only he but all of the apostles faced for the sake of the name is evidence of their submission to the will of God. It's evidence that they had set themselves to live this truth out. Because in the end, nobody in their right mind would want the life that comes from that kind of commitment. We, we want the joy that's set before us. Right? What, what does the writer of Hebrews tell us? Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for what? The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That means that there's a whole lot of stuff between here and there that is not going to go according to your flesh's plan and your body's desire for ease and comfort. There's a whole lot of things between here and there that are not necessarily going to align with your checklist of what a perfect life looks like. Apologies to Joel Osteen. I don't want my best life now. No, no apologies to him. I don't care. I don't want my best life now. This life's going to end. And if my best life is now, what does that mean about my later It's going to be worse than this? No, thank you. I don't want any part of that noise. And neither should you. We should be willing to sacrifice the now for the sake of the later. And so submitting to the will of God in everything that we do, even recognizing I'm going to go to the grocery store if the Lord permits it, is an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God over every detail of your life. And acknowledging that just might lead you to be in a place in a time where going to the grocery store is not an option. Okay? You hear what I'm saying? Because in the end, if you decide when the fire is lit, whether you're going to stand fast, I can tell you right now, you won't. If you wait until that moment to decide, you won't. You must decide now, by the grace of God, by the will of God, by the purpose of God, if the Lord permits, by His strength and His purpose, to stand in the day of trial. And having done all that you can do to stand. That's what's before us. And so the things that we do now prepare us for that. Now, 
David showed us as well that sometimes even having your best intention can go a little awry in the going. Look at me at Second Chronicles, please. I'm sorry, First Chronicles 13. First Chronicles 13, starting at verse 1. David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is by the Lord our God, it is, if, excuse me, if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands, that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor in Egypt as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David and all of Israel went up to Baal and to Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God of the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadad, and Uzzah and Ohio drove the cart. Then David and all of Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps and stringed instruments on tambourines, on cymbals with trumpets. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and therefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him to the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Now, you say, okay, wait a minute, stop. He said, if it's good to us and good to God, then we're going to do this thing. And he set out to do this thing, because obviously it was. But did you catch what it said in the Scripture? It was good in the eyes of who? The people. They said, oh yes, we want to do this thing for God. I like the idea, let's do it. Had they consulted God, they would have remembered that the ark was not to be carried on a wagon. New or otherwise. Had they consulted God, He would have given them clear instructions. You see, they went through the form of saying, oh yes, Let's do this if God wills. But in the end, what they did was what they wanted. And this is the danger for all of us. So we have to thread this ground between making sure that we're consciously saying if the Lord wills and letting it be empty ritual. Amen? We need to set ourselves to thread that narrow path of being mindful of the fact that all that we do is in the hand of the living God but avoiding the danger of just going through the motions of saying, okay, if God wills, we're going to do this thing. And then going on with our plans. Never mind all the obstacles. Those are just there to show me that I really want it. How many of us have said that to ourselves? It's just there so that I'll dig harder and go faster and try more. See, what David 
for God was that God actually has answers and God actually has input and God actually will tell His people what He wants them to do. What David forgot was that God has told His people what He wants them to do. Because David didn't need a specific word from God to know how to carry the ark. He just needed to go back to Leviticus and read the book. He just needed to go back and check what God has already said. And many times for us, beloved, our our ability to say, if the Lord wills, begins in that place. Sometimes the answers are not going to be popular. Sometimes they're not going to be easy. But if we set ourselves to do what God says and obey His word and earnestly, honestly, with everything that we have in us, aim as well as we possibly can and submit fully, you will find that God leads you. You will find that He directs His people. In the end, we need to remember that everything that we do and everything that we are is rooted in a submissive relationship to the God who is. How much authority do you have? None. How much authority does he have? All of it. So set yourself in that place. Do what he says. Submit to his will. Obey his words. Seek to know what he's told you is the right thing to do. And prayerfully, humbly, purposefully, set yourself to live that out. Beloved, if we want to see this land transformed, this is really the only course we have. All the political parties in the world are not going to get it done. All the rallies, all the riots, all the fights, all the chaos. None of it is going to affect any change whatsoever. At least not change that we want to see. The only thing that's going to change this land is the grace and mercy of God. And the path to that is for His people To seek his face. To be on their knees asking him and submitting to his will and to his purpose. It's going to mean that we have to make uncomfortable actions. And not just go along to get along. We have to be willing to stand up and say this is truth. This is God's word. It's not mine. In the end, the promise that comes from it is beyond anything you can imagine. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you give to us grace in the midst of this day. That you teach us, Father, what it looks like to submit to your will and to to submit to your purpose. That you would help us, Lord, to be clear in our minds and in our practice just how awesome 
you really are. God, let us do nothing that diminishes you and everything that diminishes us. Let us be small in our own eyes and you take over everything else. Father, help us to understand that even in our growth and understanding, it's if you permit it. God, I ask on behalf of all of your people that you would permit it. Grow us. Change us. Transform us. And through your word in our lives, change this land. We ask it in Jesus' name.